0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Kalamunda Church of Christ, really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, kalamunda.church. Well, good morning. Great to be with you and um, in your lounge room or wherever you're joining us uh, for Church Online and I'm going to pray and we're going to launch into it. We're going to Mark chapter two in a bit so you can get your Bibles ready and we're going to work a bit of scripture um, if that's okay with you. So Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come around Holy Scripture. I ask that you would make words articulate, that you would use me. In this moment, in this season where the world seems to be shaking, would we hear from you? Would you undull our ears and would you soften our hearts so that we would know what you're saying to us in this time? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if we think that the world's changed in the last seven weeks, It really has hit home in this last week in Australia. Our lucky country began to find out really fast that we too are really, really vulnerable and you know what, as a consequence, things have changed and things will not return for quite some time. This week, the things that mark us as Australians seem to have systematically and incrementally been taken away from us. It's almost like every single day, there's been a new announcement and with every announcement, something has been stripped away so no longer can I come and give you a high-five or handshake or even a hug and for a pastor like me I can't just go and meet someone in a cafe and order a regular flat white and you know what I don't know what I do that's where pastors live basically what do we do family and friends we now have to meet online we can't go to each other's houses even connect groups we can't meet in each other's houses we need to use apps like Microsoft Teams or Skype or Zoom and all these other ways of actually connecting we've never known anything like this and I think um, that our national religion got rocked as well and yes Australia does have a national religion it's called the AFL Um, we don't admit it but the AFL is a national religion but even the AFL the mighty AFL has been humbled and has been crumbled by this pandemic that has come and hit the world and it's moments like these that leave us vulnerable because the things that mark us out our identity markers when they are stripped away we're left with the question well who are we now? And it doesn't matter if you're an individual or a family or a business or a church or even a nation. When these identity markers are taken away, we are all vulnerable and sometimes a lot of fear can actually creep in. But the great news is, is that the things that mark us, in fact, one huge thing that marks us as the people of God, one thing that throughout all the generations, the world has looked upon us and said, they are followers of Jesus Christ. This one marker in our life, it hasn't been changed at all. It still remains. You know, it has been said that cometh the man, cometh the hour. And over the millennia, people have often found themselves in the midst of crisis. So what is it that truly marks God's people in our world? What if while everything else is being removed, our key identity marker has not been budged one little millimetre? Well, I want to talk about that identity market today, and I pray it's going to encourage us as a church. And in order to do that, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. So why don't you grab your Bible or your app on your phone or your tablet? Um, I don't, really don't care how you read your Bible, as so long as you read it. And um, we're going to be Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 23 to 28 from the New Living Translation. This is what Holy Scripture says. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What an interesting little story. Now, this story is actually part of a um, a section which includes five different conflicts that Jesus is involved in. In fact, this is the fourth of five conflicts, which is really interesting in and of itself. What's even more interesting is that there's this parable, actually the very first parable that Jesus speaks, which is immediately before this conflict um, sets in. And it's that parable which really does leave us a little bit uncomfortable. It's that parable where Jesus is using two metaphors in parallel, just so we don't miss what he's saying, to actually let us know that when God is breaking something new in, that means that old stuff needs to break off. And none of us really find that too encouraging, we love the idea of the new but we are so attached to the old that sometimes the old breaking off leaves us really 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 um, anxious. But in Mark chapter 2 verse 21 to 22 this is what he said, he said, besides who would patch old clothing with new cloth for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. You see when God is breaking something new in all stuff needs to break off and this is precisely what is happening with these five conflicts. Jesus has come and he's made an announcement, he's made a declaration. The kingdom of God is near, it's within reach, it's like that, it's just about to break out. Therefore repent, in other words rethink everything in light of God's kingdom breaking in right now and the problem is as Jesus goes on to actually preach and to demonstrate this kingdom now breaking into this world it is rattling people because there's something new is breaking in old stuff needs to break off this is what is happening and we've already seen in the ministry of Jesus that he has this tendency to mess with identity markers, key symbols. I mean, he seems to have no problem going and poking and prodding and redirecting. In fact, in his mind, it seems to be that, that God has this mindset, that Jesus has this mindset, that in order for God's kingdom to break in, I need to actually redirect some of these identity markers that have been held on so tightly. So we've already seen there's times where Jesus is poking and redirecting Torah and the authority of Torah. Do you remember the story? He's back in his hometown. He goes into the synagogue. And, and if you understand synagogues, we are, they're, they're people come in a synagogue and they sit under the authority of Torah. And as soon as Jesus walks into the synagogue, there's this poor guy who's been possessed by a demon for we don't know how long. But as soon as Jesus steps into the room, things start to happen. Manifestation starts to happen and Jesus delivers this poor guy who's been tormented and terrorized by this demon for we don't know how long. And there's this recognition from everyone around. Wow! This is amazing. We understand that that we're sitting under the authority of Torah, but we are observing and experiencing a higher authority. Who is this man? He speaks with such authority. What about temple? Do you remember that story where there's this paralytic man and he has a couple of mates and um, they bring him to the house where Jesus is preaching, but it's far too full. So what they do is that they go up to the roof and they open the roof up, they dig through the roof and they lower this man down On a pallet. Jesus looks on on him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders, they think to themselves, wait a minute. Number one, only God can forgive sins. And number two, in order to have your sins forgiven, you need to be at the temple, not at some guy's house that has a hole in the roof. See, Jesus is messing with that, um, the, the identity marker of temple even over there. And what about the idea of who's clean, who's unclean? Jesus is always Um, messing with these identity markers, these key symbols. And now in this conflict, this four of five outlined in this gospel, Jesus begins to mess with the biggie. And I can just imagine the disciples looking on. And if they are figuring out what's going on, I can imagine them saying, Jesus, just don't do it. Don't go there. Mm -mm, Don't do it. Don't touch it. Stay away, Jesus. Jesus, you're getting very close. Come, step back. Jesus, stop it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. He did it. He messes with the big one. This conflict involves Israel's most important law and identity marker, the idea, the issue of Sabbath. Just notice the repetition of that word Sabbath through here. In verse 23, one Sabbath day, Jesus was walking along some grain fields. Verse 24 says, But when the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Verse 27, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the requirements, uh, meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. Verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The author, John Mark, In this gospel, he is making the point, he's letting us know that Jesus is addressing this key identity marker he's going after, Sabbath. It's a really, really big deal. You see, it's Sabbath that let all the other nations know these are Jewish people. This is the nation of Israel. They were curious about this idea of Sabbath. They were curious about why is it that at a certain time of the week that you retreat, that you sort of go away, that you separate yourself, or while we're having festivals and celebrations, why is it at the same time every single week that you actually do the same thing? You know, if there's one thing that marked Israel out as the people of God, as far as the other nations could see, it was that they kept Sabbath. If you want to know, if you want to recognize who a Jewish person is, if you want to know and recognize who someone is who worships Yahweh, this is how you're going to know. They keep Sabbath. It is the key identity marker as far as they're thinking. And what Jesus does, he comes in here and he starts a redirection from this point. And he's saying, you know what? At this moment in time, your key identity marker might be Sabbath keeping, But we're going to actually change that and return to what your key identity marker should be and always was supposed to be. And this is what he is addressing right now. So in order to understand what's happening in this story, there's a little bit of background information, a bit of a history journey. About 200 years before Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees had um, formed this important um, council called the Great Synagogue or the Great Assembly. This is about 200 years before Jesus comes. Now this assembly took the Ten Commandments and they thought to themselves, you know what? We want to make sure that we as the people of God do not break the Ten Commandments. So let's try to really keep people so far away from breaking the Ten Commandments. So what they thought to do, let's build a couple of fences, you know, You know what you make that I remember when our kids were small if we didn't want them to go to a certain area we would actually put up a little barrier and that little barrier stopped them from going to that place this is what they're thinking the first fence which they um uh put in place was just these interpretations of the ten commandments and the first fence is called prohibitions there's a lot of prohibitions this one commandment um actually about the sabbath and not working in it has like 39 or so prohibitions you know, so in order to actually like, keep them from the breaking the Ten Commandments, well you're going to actually have to do all this kind of stuff. And then they thought to themselves, you know what, but what if they do jump this fence? What if they do break these prohibitions? Aha, well let's build another fence. And our other fence is called rules. So think about it. You've got rules, prohibition, Ten Commandments. And in their mind are thinking, in order to break the Ten Commandments, you need to break the rules or break the prohibitions. There's a couple of fences there. And it might sound, you know what, that might sound reasonable apart from the fact that God gave the Ten Commandments, but he didn't give the prohibitions and he didn't give the rules. And any time that we add to what God has already said, we're actually treading on very, very thin ice. But that's what happens. So in this particular commandment about Sabbath, how you're not supposed to do any regular work on Sabbath, well, the prohibition actually says this, reaping and threshing is work. That's the prohibition, all right? That's the first fence. But even before the first fence, there's a fence of rules, and the rule says this, that plucking the ears of corn is equal to reaping and rubbing the hands is equal to threshing. So when the disciples of Jesus Pluck the ears of corn and rub them in their hands, they're actually breaking one of the rules. But in the Pharisees' mind, by breaking the rules, they're breaking the prohibitions. And by breaking the prohibition, they're actually breaking the commandment. That's what was happening. Even though God never actually gave the prohibitions or the rules, he gave the commandment. So Jesus steps into this scene and defends his disciples. And he does this in two ways. First way, he brings a historical event. And he uses an Old Testament character called King David. And if you're going to use any example, I reckon you go for King David, especially since that Israel is waiting for and longing for a Davidic king. So he uses King David as a historical argument and then he uses a theological argument in returning their gaze to our actual purpose and reason why the Sabbath was given as first given in the book of Exodus and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the two places where the law was given. And in those places, we understand, we recognize that a Sabbath is given for man and man's not given for Sabbath. Or in Jesus' words, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. So Jesus is using two arguments, a historical argument and then a theological argument. And then he tightens the screws even further by actually using an authoritative assertion. In verse 28, he says this, So, so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath, the Son of Man. Now, if you've been paying attention, Jesus uses this title, this really significant title, Son of Man, very, very, very rarely. Every single time Jesus uses the Son of Man title, he uses it to ascribe to an act that only Yahweh can do. So again, let's go back to the story about the paralytic man. He's lowered down from the roof, Jesus looks at them and says, son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders say, only God can forgive sins. What's going on? And Jesus responds like this. He says, so that you know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat and go home. Again, he is using the title, Son of Man, to actually ascribe to enact, your sins are forgiven, something that only God can do. The scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, they were right in saying only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, yep, I agree. And just so you know, the Son of Man has authority to do that, you're healed. That is one place where he does it. And also in this place, he once again says, verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even over The Sabbath, wow, that is a huge, huge declaration that Jesus is making there. Your Lord, even over the Sabbath, I can imagine the Pharisees, they are just like piping hot right now. I mean, my goodness. You know, like Jewish people, they're really animated. Could you imagine how animated they'd be in this moment? (laughs) But let's return to Jesus' point. The original purpose of Sabbath is that Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. You see, Sabbath was seen and perceived as the key identity marker. And because it was the key identity marker, this is how the other nations know we are people of Yahweh. This is how other nations know that we are the people of God. And because it was such a key identity marker, there were prohibitions and there were rules that were loaded on the people to burden them. And it was never the intent that Sabbath would be a burden on people. In fact the original intention from Exodus and from Deuteronomy is not that Sabbath would be a burden, but that Sabbath would actually be something that nourishes people, brings health to people, that looks after people. That it would be something that would be a blessing to people and Jesus is redirecting reframing returning to the fact that you are using Sabbath as a key identity marker to labor and put burdens on people but Sabbath's not supposed to be that Sabbath is supposed to have a purpose of doing what the true key identity marker is I love the way that theologian Rick Watts puts Jesus correction he says this for followers of Jesus our key identity marker is not sabbath keeping it is not sabbath keeping that marks us rather it is people keeping we are those who look out and keep and take care of those who bear the image of God that is the key identity marker for anyone who follows Jesus. The true identity marker of the church and anyone who professes Jesus as Lord is observable for the entire world. The way that nations, communities, schools, shops, the way that people know that we are the people of God, the way that they can see it is not by the rules that we keep, it's not by the days that we keep, it's not by the traditions that we keep. It is the fact that we, as the people of God, we keep people. We look after people. We treat people well, especially those who cannot offer us anything in return. Do you remember the story about that special little widow And the temple is found in Mark chapter 12. Just listen to this. From verse 41 scripture says this, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow is given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. You know, this little widow has gone down in history as a hero, and I think rightly so. But sometimes we as Christians, we're so familiar with biblical stories that we forget to actually put that biblical story in the grand narrative of Scripture. And whilst Jesus is actually pointing out and um, this this little widow and making a hero of her, we need to understand that at the same time he's doing that, he's actually making a huge indictment against this people, this community who profess to be followers of God, followers of Yahweh. And this is what he is saying. How could it be that these rich people who are coming to the same temple, who are coming to the same treasury, putting their money in the same box, that they can actually come and they can have absolutely no regard and they can completely ignore a little widow who comes with just two small coins. Now, how is it that in this community, you who follow God, how is it that there is this woman who has nothing, who is poor, how is it that she is in this community? How can you just stand by and allow her to have so little when you have so much? That's the indictment that is actually being brought in this moment. Hasn't God always told his people? Make sure you look after the widow. Make sure you look after the orphan. Make sure you look after those who are vulnerable. Look after the poor. Take care of the sick. Have your eyes open to bring in the foreigner, the outcast. Is that not what God has always said? He's always said this. Well, this woman, this widow in their community, they walk straight past her, putting in their large offering in the same treasury where she puts her two small coins. I think the story is a great reminder for us as the church living in 2020 that we are supposed to be people keepers. That is our key identity marker. And you know what? As far as identity markers are concerned, this last week, this last seven weeks, that key identity marker has not moved one millimeter. It is still in play. We are the people who reach out beyond ourselves and we keep people. You know, it was the early church, it's recorded in in history. It was the early church who would go out and would rescue abandoned babies and abandoned children who were just discarded and left in rubbish tips and places. And they would bring them home and they would look after them and take care of them and they would nurture them and grow them up. Historians have well said that it is Christianity, get this, it is Christianity that gave mankind its humanity. Wow! Wow! Could you imagine that? It is Christianity that gave mankind its humanity. You see, this is who we are. And I wonder how that translates into the world today. Well, I reckon it translates pretty well, especially now. So in this season as New Spring Church and as Colomunda Church of Christ, I'm going to encourage us not to stress too much about these identity markers that we picked up along the way. You know, there's identity markers that New Springs picked up over the last 50 years and, and there's identity markers that Kalamunda's picked up over the last 70 years. Guess what? They've been taken away anyway, haven't they? This last week. We, we were having church in our lounge room. We're not in our, they've been taken away. Let's not stress too much about those identity markers because truth be told, they've been taken away right now. Instead, let us be people who keep people. Who look after the vulnerable, the weak, the lonely, the widow, the orphan, the seniors. Let's make sure that our our identity marker is that. And that is an identity marker that will never be removed. I think to myself that after this season has come and gone, how will our communities look on us? How will other generations look back on us? Will they say, you know what, those Christians, those churches, you know that mob from the Church of Christ and those guys from New Spring Church, you know what, they're a little bit odd. Yeah, they do some strange things. But one thing that cannot be denied, that when there was a season of crisis, they were the people who actually stood up and looked out and they are the ones who gave our community their humanity. Could you imagine if we are those kind of people that we can look out and we can look beyond and we can reach out and we can take care not only of those in our own local community. We're going to do that. Praise God. But we can then look out beyond and we can be those who actually bestow dignity and humanity in our community. That's an incredible thing and a great, incredible invitation that's afforded us in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Holy Scripture, and I thank you for the opportunities that come before us. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I come against the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. In this moment, I speak peace. Even now, Holy Spirit, come and flood every house in Jesus' name. Father, you are our good shepherd, and we shall not need. You are the one who makes us rest and lie down by green pastures. And I ask in this moment, They may be um, very anxious out in the world. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding come and find residence in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in Jesus' name. And as we go from this place, may we be equipped with the word of God. May we be skillful in the word of righteousness. And this day in particular, may we see and know and hear that you are so close to us. We are a blessed people living in this season, in this time, in history. And we want to honor you in it. We pray these things.